Amen. Well, I'm excited about today because we're talking about an issue that is oftentimes not addressed by churches, and so it's mental health issues. And uh, we, when we even say that, there's a lot of stigmas that are brought to that. But I've got two verses that I love to think about when we, um, when we discuss that. And it's Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, and it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can really know how bad it is? And the human heart there is actually your emotions. It's your mind. It's the way that you think. That's actually the Hebrew word that's used there. Um, And then verse 10 goes on and says, But I, the Lord, search all the hearts and examine secret motives, and I give all the people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so when we think about this idea of mental health and the things that we think about on a regular occasion, we need to seek God's wisdom in that. And he goes on in Romans 12, too, says, Don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Again, God does this transformation. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the reason I give you those passages is because I believe as a pastor, when we're dealing with mental health issues, we need to make sure we're seeking God's guidance. And so today, I get to introduce to you two very godly individuals who are in the mental health profession, and they come at it from a biblical perspective. And so I think that's really important. When we're, when we're dealing with our inner man, we need to make sure that those who have God as a part of their practice is speaking life into us. And oftentimes we yield too much control into the secular world where they don't even understand who God is or acknowledge what God's doing in the person. So today I want to introduce to you our two special guests. The first one is Adam Fidel. I met him about four years ago. He actually used to go to Journey back when it was Charlotte North Fellowship. And then he moved to California, got all educated, and uh, came back. And now he's back in the area. And uh, he actually has an office here in the church. And uh, met him and really resonated with what he's doing and he gave me an option i could either be his friend or he could be my counselor i chose friend so um we get together he's like a colleague now and we just he has incredible insight into the way that the mind works and so really privileged to have you here and uh, because he only wanted to be my friend i needed to find a counselor so then uh we have this thing called growth track and we learn a lot about each other and i met lynn groen uh who went to growth track um I don't know if you heard that or not, but she went to Growth Track, and uh, during that time, I found out that she was also uh, a licensed counselor as well, and so I met her, and before I ever endorse anybody, I always sit down with them, find out things like about them and what's going on with them, Um, and so I asked if she would be willing to engage in in that with me, and she said, sure, come on by. So uh, she's, uh, they're actually both trained in EMDR, and why don't you just say what EMDR stands for? Uh, Yeah, I was going to... Wait, is this on? It is on. Oh, yeah, earlier in the first, you didn't mention that, and I'm like, how yeah. many, half the people in this room have no idea what that means. But, yeah, they uh, told it, me that I'd it's it, it stands for that. eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, you could Google what is EMDR, uh, and you can figure out where it came from. Okay. Yeah. yeah. From my perspective, it's a cool toy. All right? So... I'll dumb it down for those, if you've never been to a counseling practice, so I had a, a problem with the dentist chair, and, uh, and, and I break out into a massive sweat, and so I'm like, eh, well, let's try something easy with her. I'm like, okay, so I told her about like, what I wanted to solve, and I go into the dentist, and I break out into this uncontrollable sweat, and I can control my blood pressure and my pulse pretty easily in all environments, um, but not in a dentist chair. Well, anyway, she did give me these EMDR things. 
Found out it was all attached to bullying that happened when I was a kid. She processed everything through me. I had a dentist appointment, and I didn't sweat a drop after that. I went one time to her. Now, I was all in, but she is phenomenal as well. So she's also, she didn't give me the, the stipulation I couldn't be a friend either. So I get to be her friend. I'm just joking you, Adam. <laughs> but I, we have two incredible individuals who offer godly biblical counsel and as well as um, they also understand the neurological processes that are happening when we talk about mental health issues. So thank you guys for joining us today. Couldn't be happier to have you guys uh, with us. So uh, appreciate that. Um, and then I also want you to let you guys know, first service we had uh, additional questions than what we're answering here in second service. Um, so make sure you go back and watch first service too because we don't have enough time to answer all of them. Uh, their information is up there on the board. And uh, if you need something uh, after this message, then I encourage you to look them up and make an appointment. All right, so let's dive into the questions this morning. And the first one has to do with a little bit about what I addressed. I want you to understand that um, we, can, we can address mental health issues without any type of guilt or shame. So uh, how do you guys answer the question of faith and mental health professionals? And uh, just so that you guys understand what I mean by that is, shouldn't a Christian, this is what I hear a lot as a, as a pastor, shouldn't a Christian just have enough faith in God to heal any emotional issues that I have? I should just pray about it and that's enough. I don't need a professional. What would you guys like to say in response uh, to someone that might have that type of a stigma towards it? Um, so I don't see it as separate. Um, I see it as, of course, with, as with everything, we need to turn to God first um, through prayer, through scripture, um, and try to get through what we can. But there's sometimes when we're just stuck. We need a little bit more help, and that's where I would turn to the, the mental health professionals. And I use the example of um, if I were to fall off a chair, the chair here today and break my leg um, to the point where the bone is sticking out of my leg, um, I will definitely be praying that I am okay. Hopefully, some of you probably would be too, right? But I wouldn't get in my car and drive back home and say, I just need enough faith that that would get healed. I would go to the hospital, um, have a doctor reset my leg and stitch me back up and get me to, on the path to getting healthier. Or um, if as I was driving here, uh, some of the lights came on in my white SUV, as Matt said the last few weeks, um, which I do have actually, but um, <laughs> the light would come on and I probably would be praying, can I please just make it to church because I'm supposed to speak and I need to get there. Um, but I'm not going to just continue on with all those lights on and drive like across the country tomorrow. I'm going to go to a mechanic or to the dealership to get fixed whatever needs to get fixed. And that's kind of how I see the exact same thing with mental health or emotional issues is going to somebody that's trained for that. Awesome. Uh, to add what Lynn said, so uh, very similar. Um, the brain and the mind and the human system are the most complex systems in the world. Um, scientifically, so the other thing too is everyone in here, you have some kind of relationship with God. God created you. He also gave you the power to learn, to discover, to educate yourself, and understand the functioning 
of why things work the way that they do and if they're working well. And so from a, a therapeutic perspective, uh, neuroscience, uh, human behavior, psychology, emotions inform the work that we do. So same thing, if you're gonna go, uh, if there's any engineers or doctors or mechanics in here, you go to them because they understand why something is functioning well or why it's not. Uh, and so that's, I, I think how we approach our work is, uh, we understand because of our education and because of the way that we're informed, uh, why things may not be working as well for you, either relationally or emotionally, uh, as you would like them to be. Um, and so uh, it's not a separation of science and faith or science and God. Uh, God created us and he gave us the ability to understand science. And if we use that wisely, then uh, we can help move people and our, you know, our communities, our families forward. I love that. And uh, so when we think about this idea of our cars breaking down, we shouldn't drive it with the light on too far. Um, uh, there's a cost in waiting when we don't take our car to the mechanic. What, what are the dangers of waiting too long to get help in the realm of, our, of getting professional help with any mental type issue that we might be going through? And I don't want to even just use the word mental because if you're like me, that word was used and you're mental. Um, just any type of an issue where you might need counseling. Um, and how do you know when the right time is to seek help? So what happens if you wait too long and how do you know when to seek help? Uh, so if you wait too long, uh, more chaos will manifest itself inside of you or in the your lives, your relationships, your family, and your community. Um, most people come into a room like ours, uh, obviously, when they're in crisis. Uh, I don't think that's the right way to think about therapy. Um, and I guess you do the same thing with trainers, right? If you're trying to get stronger or lose weight, maybe it's like, well, I'm mean, not in the best shape that I'd like to be, so maybe it's time to go see somebody. You don't have to wait, and I would say it's unwise to wait. If you ask yourself, am I the best version of myself today that I want to be? And the answer is no, or you hesitate to answer, then it, maybe it's a good idea to see what is holding you back from that. And maybe a therapist would be the right person, or maybe your pastor would be the right person to go talk to. Um, so part of it is uh, the longer you wait, or the more you ignore anything, and I think that's true medically, psychologically, financially, uh, it gets worse. So uh, if you don't want your life to be worse, then... When you know that it's not working, do something. It's good. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, waiting too long, definitely things get, tend to get worse. If they're not getting better, they either stay the same, which then makes it worse because we want it to get better, or it just does mm. continue to get worse. Um, I think especially with couples, sometimes it's like, we're going to come in because this is our last resort. We've tried everything, and if this doesn't work, then we're done. And that's a little bit waiting too long because a lot of bad has happened before you got to that point. So you definitely want to try to head that off sooner rather than later. We don't want to get to the point where we're or indifferent. Um, you know, just because you're arguing, that's okay. There's still something there. But if we're indifferent, if we don't have the emotion tie with it, then we've waited too, too long. Um, right time to seek help would be... Um, do what you know to do, what you know how to try, and if that doesn't work and you just kind of have, feel like you're stuck or you've run stuck, then that's probably the right time to seek help, whether it is through the pastor or through a professional. Um, I, I love that. When you're stuck, whether you see the chaos that's existing in your relationships, that's awesome. So um, when we think about 
getting stuck or something or being indifferent in a marriage because a lot of times that's where we see the greatest indifference as well whatever it's too late now but we're going to do a last ditch effort uh, what are some common marital issues that you address in your in your practices um, and then how do you help a couple or a, an individual not a couple how do you help a, a person where only one of the individuals in the couple is willing to come and get help um, and how do you give them hope that um something might actually change when they're the only ones there. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, what was the first So question? the first one is, what are some common marital issues okay. that you yes. deal with, yep. and then how do you give them hope if they're the only ones that are there? Okay. Um, so a lot of times um, couples will come in with a lot of issues that they maybe believe are the issues, um, spending too much, not getting along, that kind of thing. Ultimately, I think it comes down to um, that missed connection, you know, like you just want to have that connection with that other person and we're just missing it. You know, we try our hardest and then we end up getting in an argument or we go right back to where we were before. Um, so just relearning that, that missed connection and why it's there. Cause typically it's there because of things inside of us, how we view ourselves, how we view the other person, how we view God is kind of where that connection gets lost. Um, and then if there's only one person that's willing to come, usually what I tell them is that, um, you know, we cannot control or change anybody else. We can only control or change ourselves. So let's work at being the healthiest version of ourselves that we can be. And then hopefully those changes inspire your partner, your spouse to want to make those changes as well. Um, or at least things are going to be a little bit different because you're not reacting the same way or a little bit different. Great. Sure. Yeah, to add uh, to Lynn, very similar. Um, <clears throat> if, um, sorry, thing in the question again. Yeah, so what are some of the common marital issues yeah. that you address and then how do you give hope to a person if they're the only one that's there? Sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of it's disconnection. Uh, marriages get off track because there's not a common shared vision uh, to move it forward. Uh, if you don't have a vision, many of you know the scripture, then you perish. And what that means, actually, uh, those who don't have vision, uh, one version says perish, uh, another version says, um, I forgot, it doesn't matter. But it means, it means become discouraged, right? So if you become discouraged in your relationships, um, you'll start to wander, uh, you'll question, you'll get disconnected, uh, you'll become bitter, resentful, uh, angry, not deal with pain properly. And those things will fracture your marriage. Uh, and so the way, uh, if one of you is willing to go in, great. Uh, that person goes in and they start doing everything that they can to create the strongest and healthiest version of themselves. More often than not, uh, the other person will witness that and they will see that and they will want, hopefully, to create a better version of themselves. And then eventually you can hopefully bridge the marriage back together. Um, the other thing too, and this is true outside of marriage, is that uh, people will notice if you're getting healthier, stronger, more vibrant, more joyful, like people recognize those things and that's inspiring and that matters to people. So if, if something is changing or transforming in your life, other people are going to naturally hopefully be curious about that. And then you can tell them, well, this is what's been helpful for me. And then maybe that gives them a little bit of hope and inspires them to go as well. Um, what are some, in, in that, I think first service you talked about, I think you said, Adam, there's like a root cause of undealt with uh, issues sometimes that kind of manifest themselves in our relationships. Do you remember what you said? Yeah, so uh, just kind of on a foundational level, the way that I think about what I do. 
uh, almost every person, uh, regardless of what the, the challenges they're facing, addiction, trauma, uh, marital crisis, uh, at the core of it is undealt with grief or pain. You're going to find that in 99% of issues that walk into a therapist's office. Um, and that's for everyone. That's not necessarily pain or grief from the marriage itself. It's stuff that you came with into your family, into the marriage, from your family, from your experiences in life that you haven't dealt with. And the reality is, is everyone's responsible for putting themselves together in that sense. No one else can, like if I want to go meet with Don and I've got my issues, he can give me guidance. There is an element of like, do I want that for myself? Do I actually want to confront and contend with uh, the mess that is within me? Uh, and if you're willing to look at that, uh, you can deal with those things. You can deal with the pain. Uh, you don't have to carry shame anymore. I absolutely believe that. Um, and you can be strong and healthy and vibrant and move forward. Awesome. And I mean, even I was making a joke with my, my dentist chair, but it was undealt with pain. Like, and when I say bullying, it wasn't like getting made fun of when I was a kid. I'm talking about like axes and bats and steel-toed boots and stuff that were just traumatizing back in our day in the Gen Xers, those of you that are here. It was like true bullying that like was painful. Um, so I thought I dealt with it, but it's undealt with pain and it was manifesting itself in some stupid dentist chair. I had no idea that's what was going on in my mind. But once it was dealt with, the next time I went to the dentist's office, I didn't drip a drop of sweat when I went there the next time. It was amazing because it's, it stands to reason with what you're talking about. It's undealt with pain. Um, and it was just that simple. And you may not even know the pain that you're dealing with or that you're ignoring but it's manifesting itself in all of your relationships and you just have no idea because you haven't gone to talk to someone that can help you diagnose what's going on in your mind. We'll go to... Can I, sorry, can I? Yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, sorry. Um, so there's a... And I'm not going to have time to unpack all this. So, but there's a phrase that's really good to remember and some of you maybe have heard it. It comes out of the addiction world. It's if it's hysterical, it's historical. Hmm. Right? So if you're... Real quick... In an objective scenario, if your emotional response, uh, your spouse's emotional response, your kid's emotional response, your coworker's emotional response, in a moment, in that specific moment, doesn't fit, you're not dealing with that them now. You're dealing with something that they haven't dealt with previously. Or you, right? So it's, it's just a good way to measure, like, so if you're ever, like, not sure why you're responding mm. to some, why do I get freaked out when I go to the dentist? I've never had any known issue with the dentist. It's not, it wasn't Don now. Mm. It was Don in all of his history that had not mm -hmm. been or ordered, one way yeah. to think about it, so. That's awesome, that's a great way to look at it. All right, so let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. The stubborn individual that's not willing to go, I know there's no one here like that, like, <laughs> but let's just say that maybe you know someone like that what would your counsel be to the individual who resists going with their spouse or their partner or someone that's asking them to come along with them? Um, how would you encourage them to overcome that step and why would it be necessary to bring them to the table? All right. Um, so usually um, if, is this with a couple? And one yeah. is, okay, and, that's what And I mean. you actually, the other couple is out there somewhere right now. <laughs> and you actually get to talk to them right now. Right. What would you like to say to them? All right, so what I would say is, what do you have to lose? 
Um, clearly, the relationship is not working the way it is right now. So, and neither of you are happy. Um, so, let's try just changing a few things that you might not even think of. Or I usually ask, like, okay, well, what what happens? What what's it usually look like at your home if I was a fly on the wall? And they would start talking, and then it's like, okay, and then how do you respond to what you hear? And we see that okay, there's a pattern, and it usually happens within five minutes. Everything's going good, and like you were saying, with the hysterical reactions, then we're all of a sudden off on a tangent to wherever we're at, and just slowing down that cycle. Mm. Um, so, would you be willing to try? Is usually what I say. Awesome. Yeah, I would, I would just uh, have you clarify what it is that you really want. Um, because if you don't have a clear vision of what you want in your marriage or your family, then it doesn't matter what skills or tools any of us have. Uh, you need to define that. And I think really competent therapists will help you clarify exactly why it is that you're coming in and what you need to address. Uh, but you do need to answer the question of what you want in your marriage. Um, and the next question is, all right, if we want that, then what's it going to take to have it? And then we may have to deal with all of these things that have gotten in the way. Um, and that's true for life. If you can't answer the question what you want, then you're going to wander around aimlessly for a long time. Um, and that's true for everybody, work, family, emotions, financially. Mm. Uh, you need to have a goal. You need to have a target. Uh, and you need to clarify that together. Awesome. Have you guys ever noticed a similarity in when, when someone is resistant? Is there a common theme as to why they don't want to come? Yeah. Um, more often than not, they either don't want to look at themselves and the part that they play because you play a part. If you're part of a relationship, then you have a part in it. Maybe it's 97% to 3%, but you have a part in it. You need to own your 3%. Uh, the other thing, too, is there's just they're anchored in bitterness and resentment, um, and they're unwilling to. They'd rather stay in a position of blame uh, rather than understand that they play the part and uh, ask for forgiveness. And so uh, people will anchor themselves in that pretty deeply. Um, which can be obviously a challenge to help them see themselves in the midst of that. Awesome. I mean, I agree. I think he worded it really well. That's um, very similar to what I see. I don't know that I can even add anything to that. So I'll okay. leave it there. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Uh, what are some of the effects? Oh, this is, I love this one. Uh, what are some of the effects you've seen that social media has had upon our society and your clients? And uh, how do you help? people navigate the social media world? Um, yeah, definitely a lot of effects. Um, as in uh, people feeling overwhelmed, heightened um, anxiousness, comparison is a huge thing now with social media. Um, I kind of say like everybody shows the highlight reels and then the rest of the people that are looking are like, well, my life doesn't look like that. Like, you know, why can't I have that kind of thing? Um, other things for the digital world. What was How would you help part? them navigate How would I that? help them navigate? Yeah. Okay. So I, I point that out that, you know, just because we have the highlight reels, we're, you know, in a movie, there's a lot of stuff that's edited and um, you don't see that with whatever might be posted or shown or that kind of thing on the digital world. Um, so we're living our lives and they don't all look that great, um, but we can make them the best that we can and that's kind of where we go. So I might say, you know, get off of social media for a little while or just remind yourself of those kind of things and just kind of depending on where they're at, what they need and going from there. All right. Yep. Yeah, um, 
so in terms of navigating the the social world, there's a, I'm going to reference a book. Um, there's a great book. All of you should read it. Uh, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. It was written by a, two guys, uh, Greg Lukianoff and um, Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt is a psychologist uh, uh, at NYU, and they studied the effects um, of, of how not disciplining ourselves and the effects of social media, and uh, they can break it down way better than anybody, uh, any of us could right now. Um, they also make a point in that book, too, um, about social media. Uh, if, up until, no, they said no kid should have social media access. I mean, you can't have a phone. No kid should have social media until they're in high school because they don't know how to deal with it. Because the parents who are guiding, if you have kids, I have three little kids, uh, if you're guiding them through this age, we don't know how to deal with it either. So why would you think it's good to give a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old access to it when we don't even know how to properly manage it? So their, their stance is, and these guys are really smart, um, no social media till high school, um, you know, small things that you could do in your home, um, one computer in a family room, one TV. It's old school. I know all the, if there's younger kids in here, they're getting real mad at me right now, but um, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you know, things that they, they, they tracked historically behaviors that we shifted uh, in terms of parenting and in society. And they can tie all of these manifestations of that back to in the last mm -hmm. 20 years, right? So how many people have multiple TVs in their home? Well, okay, that means each of your kids can watch whatever they want. Probably not a good idea. When everything was in one family room, everybody was watching the same mm -hmm. thing. It could be monitored. You had some form of control of what your kids took in. And if they took in something that wasn't healthy, you could talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. Now nobody knows because you can do it on their phones or computers or whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of really practical things. Um, that we need to be doing, but I would, that book uh, will change your life if you're a parent. Um, hopefully it'll change society too, back towards the healthier way, so. And it's called The Coddling of it's the It's called American The Coddling Mind. of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. Uh, I don't know if they're Christians, you know, and this is, you know, you're just gonna have to trust, maybe they are, I have no idea, but, mm -hmm they give really critical information about the effects of things. And that's why I go back to the functioning, right? I, you should have God as a part of your life and pray and go to church and all of those things. But there are some people in the world who may not profess that they are a Christian that are really, really smart and they have really helpful information. So don't throw them out because they might not, you know, talk about Jesus in their book. Mm -hmm. um, part of it is just understanding that they, under, they understand functioning in systems in a way that most people do not. It would be wise for all of us to learn some of that, so. And uh, so you've already touched on it even with that. So the question I was gonna do in a follow-up, not just in us as adults and how social media affects us, but then how do you help parents navigate the digital age would be the follow-up. Um, and what, what should, and you kind of answered a little bit, but is there anything specific that every parent should know of the dangers of social media? Like, is there anything that you know is specifically hampering ch youth and children right now um, with it? Yeah, I, I mean, I would up. say Lynn touched on it. Um, it's, the, it's the image game. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody knows what's real, right? You can put whatever you want on social media, right? So people will believe whatever it is that they see. Uh, but I still think that comes back to personal discipline and responsibility. Um, 
stop trying to create a version of your life that mimics or models somebody else's if you don't know the reality of their life. So there's a lot of responsibility and discipline that go into that. Um, yeah, I'll stop there because we... Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I agree. And that... Um, so first off, I think, and I don't know if all schools, I know some schools have gotten really good about trying to keep on top of what the new apps are, what the new things that the teens, the younger mm -hmm. version um, of kids are using, and that they will educate the, the parents if asked for it um, to keep on top. Because I think that's the thing, like we finally figure one thing out and they're that much further in front of us that we don't even know what that is. So I think staying on top of that or, you know, going to, um, you know, Apple has really good, not that I'm endorsing them or anything, but like really good teachings or helpful things of how to set restrictions and that kind of thing. And then um, off of the image game is also, you know, when we... I was at school. Um, school could be difficult, but then you'd go home and you wouldn't necessarily see that kid that was not being so nice to you and anymore, right? Until you went back the next day or until, you know, you had the whole weekend. And now with social media, you don't, they don't leave that. Like mm -hmm. it's in their face every single day and that just makes it that much more difficult. So that's definitely something that I see coming up too. Well, that's good. And uh, I want to encourage you guys as parents, my children, I've now just entered empty nest phase of life just this year, 2019 and 18, 20, 21, 19 and 18. Uh, but anyways, we didn't allow our girls to have phones until they were 16 years old. And I have lots of parents, yeah, but how am I ever going to get a hold of them? Their friends have phones, all right? So, the, all right, the, that's the reality. Like just, and you, you know where your kids are at when they're younger than that. And when they're 16 and they started driving, then I wanted them to be able to have a cell phone and get a hold of me. Uh, they weren't allowed to have a Snapchat till they turned 17, all right? And so why? Because they weren't ready to handle it. They weren't ready for the emotional. Now, and how do I control that? I pay the dadgum cell phone bill, all right? So if they don't abide by it, I cut them off. It's that simple. Now I had children that had listened to it, but as a parent, I just really encourage you guys, you can set standards in your home, but they weren't shocked when I gave them that rule. I gave them that rule when they were five, six, seven years old. They knew the rules of engagement long before they ever got to be 16 years old. Did we have to listen to our children bicker and moan that everybody else had a phone? Yeah, we did. But they survived, and so did we. And so now you pick your own age. I don't really, I'm, it's your life and it's your misery. I don't care what you do in it. But the reality is you still have to establish your own set of rules and your own set of guidelines. And your mom and dad, you don't have to be your kid's best friend. They don't have to like every decision that you make. Um, we're navigating a digital age that was not there years ago. Uh, be willing to engage it and, and navigate it well. And if you don't know how to do that, come and ask for help because it is affecting our kids in ways that I don't even think we've seen the full ramifications of how much damage it's going to do yet. But that's my personal opinion. So we'll go on from the digital age. Um, when we think through all of what's happening in our, in our relationships, one of the ones that I want to 
focus upon because this seems to really impact our society, especially with the image thing. Anxiety and depression seem to be at an all-time high, especially in our American culture. What are some of the root causes that you could address or similarities that you could address in anxiety and depression that you would like everybody here to know today? Um, so similarities. Um, or root causes. Similarities or root, or root causes. causes that they could that would be helpful for them to walk out of here with knowing how to yeah. view that okay um so it's not anything to be ashamed of i mean we all have different personalities we all have different ways of handling different things um sometimes it might cause you to feel a little bit more anxious or difficult um, situations come across or come in your life and you you just kind of feel depressed you just can't get to the other side of it you know life is difficult and um i think the first step is saying hey i can't get to the other side of this and i need to try to do something a little bit different or get some help for it um i think root causes can come from pain um of things that you've experienced in the past um, they can come from learning it from um, your childhood, from other people that you've watched. Um, and, and again, then sometimes it is just personality, um, just how your body has been chemically made that make things that are just a little bit more difficult or one way to work through it versus the other way. Awesome. Um, yeah, anxiety and depression are, are obviously real things that affect a lot of people. Um, one way to think about this, too, uh, I don't look at anxiety. Anxiety is not an emotion. Uh, anxiety is an alarm in your body telling you that something is not right. Um, I need time to clarify all that, but I'm going to do the best I can. So uh, almost always underneath anxiety is there's something physiologically going on in your body. It's just the, the anxiety is an alarm. Hey, pay attention. Uh, more often than not, it's, it's pain, fear, shame, grief that haven't been dealt with. Uh, so if you ever, now, you may be anxious about coming up here and talking this morning, right? I had a little bit of nerves, but I wouldn't have said that I was anxious. Um, so you have to start, you have to dissect and clarify what it is that you're actually dealing with. Um, it's also known that uh, in an adult lifetime, uh, everyone's going to experience what would be considered two bouts of depression. Now, it doesn't mean you're clinically de uh, depressed or incapacitated, but it's not uncommon uh, as we go throughout life um, to experience things. So. Uh, part of it is how you discipline yourself uh, in a real practical way. Um, are you disciplined? Are you focused? Uh, do you do things that are actually good for you and that take care of yourself? And again, that uh, is helping you become the healthiest, strongest, best, best version of yourself. Uh, if you're doing those things, uh, you won't find a whole lot of people that are dealing with anxiety. I rarely meet people who are uh, being responsible and taking care of themselves who have high anxiety. Doesn't really exist. Um, so there's a, there's a direct correlation to, to disciplining yourselves and being focused that does eliminate anxiety. And that's actually even built into some of the therapy models. Um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, is a, a therapy model that literally dissects what you, what a situation you're in, what you believe about yourself in the midst of it, how you feel, and then how to practically and rationally move towards a new way of thinking, right? It's a very, it's a very concrete exercise that CBT therapists will take you through. And I'm not a CBT therapist, but I use some of it. So um, there's very practical things to do uh, that can eliminate both of those uh, in your life. Some people will have uh, a severe chemical 
um, uh, depression, and you will need medication for that. But by and large, that's not true for the majority of people. Awesome. All right. Well, it is crazy to me that the, the time is coming to an end again, so we're going to end on the last question. And uh, I could honestly sit up here and talk about this for a really long time because I think there's so much, there's so many nuances to the way that God has designed the mind. Um, and I hope that uh, you guys are just taking in this um, and thinking through this in a, in a fashion where you're allowing God to transform you. But if you had three to five minutes to share with the audience what you would love to make sure that they walk out of here with this morning, like if they hear nothing else, you want them to go away knowing this about um, professional, seeking professional assistance or help whenever they may get stuck or need uh, additional help. What would you like them to leave here with today? So that's still hard for me. I, I said at the first session or the first um, service that that's really hard for me to do. Um, so like wrap into a nice little thing. Um, like I said, life is hard. And um, because of sin, because of broken relationships, because of pain that we've gone through um, in childhood or currently, sometimes we just can't get to the other side of it, but don't lose hope. Um, when we get to that place is usually when God can use us. Um, when we open our hearts and our minds to different possibilities, that's when he can really move and work at its best. And sometimes that takes some professional help. Sometimes that takes pastoral help. Um, sometimes that takes just turning into the word a little bit more, but um, right now is just a chapter in your whole book of life. So it may seem like you just can't get to the other side right now, but it's just a chapter. So don't lose help. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, your life matters. Um, and and to, in a large extent in your relationship with God, you are responsible for it. Uh, and you're going to need help at some point. Your spouse is going to need help and your kids will need help. And that's why they have you as parents. And then you also may need help. Uh, most therapists that I know go to therapy as well or have been at some point. Um, and part of it is just being humble enough to recognize that uh, you need other people and uh, no one's going to make it uh, solo. That's just reality. That's, that's never been true in human history. It's not going to change in 2020. Um, and so part of it's being wise and humble and, and surrendering yourself to, hey, maybe somebody might be able to help me get through this moment or season or relational conflict that we have uh, and to be courageous enough to walk into it. The, the benefit of that is other people will see and hear how that has impacted you if it's been positive. And then that will inspire them and hopefully move them towards a place of vulnerability uh, and courage as well. And so um, your stories matter uh, and they will impact each other. It's why we're up here talking to some extent mm -hmm. and why you go to a church and you hear Matt or Donnie or Stacy or Tra whoever's preaching or whatever they're doing. It's like their story. When they tell the story, it moves you. Hopefully it moves you in a positive direction. Uh, and your story has the capacity to do that for other people as well. So own that um, and then uh, do what you need to do to move it forward. Awesome. Um, because I'm the one up here and leading this right now. I do want you, I just, I want to unpack the one question because I don't want to end it without it because it keeps going through my head. You mentioned just a second ago that everybody goes through two stages of depression or something. Can you unpack what you meant by that? Um, yeah, so there's been some studies in the last, and I think I read that study maybe 
seven or eight years ago. Okay. Uh, it, it's just, you know, we try to put numbers and, and data on things to help us understand. It doesn't mean that uh, it's 100% true for everyone. But, but more often than not, through your adult life, so 18 to the end of your life, it would not be uncommon for you to go through two periods of depression. They, you, you may not be clinically depressed in the sense where you need medication or you can't function. Um, but just to understand that that's not that uncommon, uh, just like it's not uncommon for everyone to deal with anxiety and shame. But you don't have to stay stuck in it. I think that's the big thing. It's like, mm -hmm. it happens, figure out what it is that's going on inside of you, how it's preventing you from living the life that you really wanna live and figure out who can help you. Um, you know, a, a lot of times I think the sad thing is, is we, we, these things happen, they're confusing, they're disorienting, they're overwhelming, mm -hmm. and we just kind of, well, we, you know, I hope it gets better. It's like, well, things don't just, they don't, that doesn't happen. I mean, Jesus can perform miracles, but more often than not, you need to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and so if your spouse notices that you're not functioning the way that you typically would or your kids, uh, take their feedback. Hey, I noticed you haven't been your normal self or whatever that means. Um, like, listen to them. Be willing and humble to receive feedback from other people. If you and them might see things in your life that aren't working well, and then mm -hmm. uh, see a therapist, go talk to your pastor first, uh, go exercise, see if that changes it. You know, that's one of the, the, the primary things that people will recommend that you do if you're depressed. Go exercise. You will not find people that are depressed and anxious often if they are taking care of themselves. I don't, that's not an understatement. If you eat well, if you exercise, if you have good relationships, more often than not, your, your life's going to be okay. So. Great, thank you guys. Uh, why don't, uh, this has just been really helpful, so I hope that you guys have found some help in that. I can't thank you guys enough for joining us today. Um, why don't we give our guests a round of applause for joining us today. They will be standing up here uh, after the service, not back in the space. They'll be up here uh, after the service. If you have any questions, you like, don't use it as a counseling session. All right, their information for that is up there. Um, but they are here to answer any other additional questions. Maybe they touched on something you want more clarity on, on something that they said. But they're here to answer those questions here this afternoon. But um, let us go to the Lord in prayer, uh, and then uh, we'll close this out here this way this afternoon, this morning. <laughs> Dear God, we just thank you for this day that you have given to us. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to just seek you and how you have designed us to reach a, a healthy point within our lives, God, that, uh, that we aren't designed to stay stuck anywhere, Lord. We aren't designed to drive our cars with the engine light on all the time, hoping that it just goes off. Um, and yet, God, that's how we live our lives oftentimes. And so, Lord, I pray that today would inspire those um, that just needed a little encouragement, may they be encouraged. God, those that maybe needed a nudge to go get some help, I pray today would be the day that it just breaks down some walls and barriers that uh, make it okay to go get that help. And so, God, we just, um, just ask that you would just continue to work in our lives. And so, Lord, wherever we're at in, this, in our walk with you today, wherever we're at in our journey, wherever we're at in our story, um, God, I pray that you would just be honored, that you'd be glorified. And Lord, just use this church to just speak hope and love and life into all those who come through these doors. We just thank you for that. Guide us and direct us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.